1: Welcome to the Inspired Evolution and it is such a treat to be here today. Today we have us, with us, Rajesh Sethi. Rajesh, how are you?
2: I'm doing very good. I'm excited to be here.
1: It is such a pleasure to have you here. For those tuning in to uh, is, can I call you Raj or is it Rajesh? Yeah, definitely.
2: Raj is good.
1: <laughs> to, for those tuning in to Raj for the first time, he's a serial entrepreneur. He's an author and a teacher based in Silicon Valley. He gives incredible talks, which are definitely worth listening to, which is what inspired me to connect with you here today. But we were just having a chat just before and you wrote your first book at the age of 13. Yes. <sighs>
2: I I have a chronic writing problem, (laughs) which is is actually a bug, but I call it a feature.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, where did this bug get installed? Who installed this bug? (laughs) Uh, It was
2: mostly because I read so many books, uh, Amrit, that uh, I somehow was fascinated by reading and uh, I read close to 700 books by the time I was nine. Wow! And they were small books, little books, big books. It's all in multiple languages. Uh, so, all of all I used to like was um, thrillers, mysteries, fantasies. I just would get transported into those uh, uh, those stories that mm-hmm. I would live, live them. And I used to play a game with myself, saying, "I know what will happen in this uh, novel." I yeah. you know exactly who, where will be the treasure or who is the killer or where, do, where, how do they find, do they get married, do they not get married. Uh-huh. I used to always think that I know exactly what happens and most of the time something else would happen.
1: Ah. <laughs> so most of the time really, you were wrong.
2: <laughs> I was really unhappy. About it. and then I said the easiest way to solve this problem is I write my own novel. I can decide what the characters will do. Who is the killer or who will get married or who will not get married? Yeah. I choose the plot. I choose the direction. So I started writing one when I was 10. And wow. then I wrote a 200-page book. It took me about eight months at that time. Wow. And then the madness started, <laughs> saying that I'm going to pitch this to a publisher. And within days, I'll have a red carpet welcome to the publishing world because, you know, how many people will write book at 10? So uh, I, they just love me, is what yeah. I thought. For, that was farthest from the truth <laughs> so I won't bore you with all the, all the details but over three and a half years I got rejected 160 times Whoa. I was um, uh, I didn't have a degree but almost I had a PhD in how to get rejected <laughs> <laughs> a rejection. and uh, when I was 13 finally I got one publisher
3: Wow! So said, uh,
2: I want know. to publish this book how much do you want Mm. And that was a question I was not prepared to answer because uh. I it has never been asked before because most of the time it will be go away kind of thing, right? yeah So I thought for a minute and said, I want 100 rupees. <laughs> he almost got a shock out of his life. Are you sure? <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: That's the deal. I want 100 rupees. For those of them who don't know what is 100 rupees, means it's less than two bucks.
1: Yeah, it's uh, yeah $2 on a good day. <laughs> so that
2: is how I got my first book published when I was 13 years old.
1: Nice. And what was the book on? It was a
2: murder mystery.
1: Ah, so fiction. So my first, first few
2: books were fiction. Yeah. And I got six books published before I was 17.
1: Wow. And then... You said yeah, your first few books were fiction, and then you started writing non-fiction.
2: Yeah, so even in the first six books, one was a book on mathematics, and other was a collection of poems. And yep. then uh, my mom got worried that I will become a writer. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, Indian moms, she uh, got really engineer. <laughs>
3: yes.
2: He gave me three choices, Samrat. Choice yeah. number one is engineer. Choice number two is a doctor. Yeah. Choice number three is a loser. <laughs> no. And you can pick any one of them, but at least let me know what it is so that I won't fret on it. Yeah, wow. And choice number three was a decoy choice, obviously. Yeah. You know, <laughs> because you want to break your mom's heart. You pick
1: yeah.
2: It. I picked to become an engineer. Yep, and awesome. I did very well. Beautiful. And then uh, later, is that what I,
1: is that what took you to Silicon Valley?
2: No, no, no. So Silicon Valley was uh, by accident. Mm. I'll get there. Sure. So as soon as I finished my engineering, myself and two of my friends started a company, hmm. or just to be clear, attempted to start a company. Will <laughs> be the better way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, it's unbelievable that uh, how much we don't know. Mm. We didn't know. Yeah, of course. So the level of ignorance. It's but you don't
1: that. realize until you start doing things that you need to exactly, know. Yeah,
2: Exactly. So uh, later I realized what was the real problem. Mm. Uh, first thing, at that time I felt like one blind person was leading the other two blind people. <laughs> right? But the real problem was this. I was good in my studies. Mm. I was good in my education. Every mm. single exam, uh, there was a public exam. I got a rank in the, for a state or for the nation. But I was good in both of them. Why did I fail as an entrepreneur? Is because, very simple, that when you're very good in the solo sports, entrepreneurship is a team sport. Mm. So you cannot transport things from one kind of a sport to another kind of sport. It's almost as big of a job as, I'm really good in the kitchen, and Mm -hmm. let me fly a plane kind of thing. It's not works, it does not work that way. Yeah, that's a really profound insight. The problem there was that because I was uh, already uh, slightly famous because of my education and everything, so people around me would not let me give up very quickly. Mm. So they would say, hey, you are so smart, Raj. You cannot give up. You should try hard. So it's like uh, if you don't know what you are doing, trying hard will not help, isn't it? So yeah. it's like running in the wrong direction, you yeah, know you're just idea. running
1: on a hamster wheel, getting you nowhere fast,
2: <laughs> exactly,
1: so finally,
2: it was like a death by a thousand cuts, but I learned a lot in the whole mm. process. I learned a lot, yeah, and uh, now, I'm happy that I failed so many times early, yeah, so I always think that you know everybody has a failure quota in their life mm. So, which means they fail, fail, fail and they accumulate, the, finish up the failure quota and then remaining will be success quota. Mm,
1: I love that perspective.
2: Because I always uh, twist uh, facts to my convenience.
1: <laughs> <laughs> because anyway, so many things
2: are made up. So I will make up something that is
1: serving you. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah so it's an interesting uh uh, thing that you're mentioning in terms of the relationship with failure you mentioned already like you know there's 160 times you know you face rejection so you had a phd in that and then obviously trying to establish your own um, entrepreneurial venture um you know there was challenges in and around that um i like it's something that has been recently forming for me, you know, it's taken some time. I've had this awareness for a while that, you know, failure is key to success. They are next door neighbors. They're two sides of the same coin, you know, um, that in order to succeed, you must fail again and again and again and again to, because if you're not failing, you're not in the arena, you know, it yeah. means, you know, you've put the, you you don't, you're not holding the bat. You're not holding the ball because you you didn't, you know, like some matches you win, some matches you lose, but if you don't lose any matches, it means you're not playing any matches. You know what I mean? Yeah and so and i have a, one yeah. uh,
2: one thing to add on the failure mm. as long as you are growing in your attempts failure is good mm. but if your failure is because you don't want to try hard enough or you just want to clock the machine just for the sake of a counter yeah it won't help like the failure has to be at the edges of your comfort zone mm. only then there is growth if the failure is in the middle of your comfort zone then that means you are just doing it because, you know, somebody said you have to fail nine times to get uh, to 10 times you're successful. And then you end up doing nine times the wrong things. Then yep. it won't count.
1: Mm. Yep. I see what you're saying. And so on that journey, like what have been some, what have been some of the biggest lessons that have precipitated? What are some of the biggest lessons that have precipitated you through your failures? How
2: much time do we
1: have? Uh, <laughs> okay, the top two <laughs> uh,
2: there are so many things that uh, uh, I learned, and I live my life with those lessons mm. and If I ask you a question, for example, Amrit, what do you think is the greatest competitive advantage for a person? What skill will will it will it be so I, I've asked this question to so many people, and sometimes people say, making things happen. And sometimes people say, you know, seeing things before other people see it. Mm. So there are a lot of good answers for it. Mm. Shall I give you my answer? Sure. It is your ability to give meaningful gifts at scale at a very low incremental cost to you. So let me repeat it. Mm. It is your ability to give meaningful gifts Mm. at scale at a very low incremental cost to you. Right. Why is that? Let me yeah. elaborate on it. First is, first of all, if, you, if there is an ability that will give meaningful gifts at scale, mm-hmm. that means you have to be operating at your strengths. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that resonates. First thing. Yeah.
2: So to know that, you need to know how to know your strengths, mm-hmm. which we'll get to that a little bit in, in, a, in a while. a hmm when you want to give it at scale, it has to be in the area of your strengths. Mm-hmm. And if it has to be at a very low incremental cost to you, it has to be at your strengths. Everything points to the things of giving gifts when you're operating your at your strengths. Now okay. what happens when you, if you really have this ability, what happens? Do mm-hmm. so you become a, a walking Santa Claus? Why? Because <laughs> you're giving gifts and dishing out gifts at scale. And I also said the word meaningful gifts, mm. right? So it's not any kind of gift. It has to be a meaningful gift.
3: Mm.
2: What is a meaningful gift? A meaningful gift is one that will change the recipient of the the trajectory of the life, career, or business of the recipient in mm. a mean, in a really profound way. Yep. So how do we know that the gift is meaningful? There is a litmus test for it. Litmus test is like this. If, the, if you truly receive a meaningful gift, you will miss the giver of that gift in your past. Not in the future, but in your past. How does that happen? I'll ask you a question. Do you know every single teacher that taught you from your kindergarten? Every no, single one of them? No, not every single one of them. But do you know some of them? Yes. Okay. Of the some of them, I won't even have to ask you. They fall into two categories. Either they were very bad or they were extremely good.
1: I only remember the good
2: ones. (laughs) (laughs) The good ones, you remember them. And at least one or two of them, you would feel so deeply touched by them. Mm. And you wish you met them a few years before you met them. Mm. That is missing in the past.
1: Yeah, beautiful.
2: So a meaningful gift is one that will make you miss the giver of the gift miss in the past.
1: Right, right. You wish you had it earlier. You wish they'd come by sooner. Exactly. So so now if
2: you do that, here is what happens. When you truly give a meaningful gift, the receiver feels like reciprocating back. Mm. Now, if you're doing this at scale, you're making people miss you in the past at scale, that means they all want to reciprocate back to you. What does that mean? You have an oversupply of good help in your life. Mm. That is how you increase the odds of succeeding.
1: Ah, because of the connections that you have. Yes.
2: Because on your own, suppose you want to climb the hill behind your home, then you mm. can try to do it alone. But if you say, I want to climb Mount Everest, you need help. And you need lots of help, not only you need lots of help, you need lots of good help
1: you need equipment, but, you need strategy, yep, yes,
2: everything and then you, you need to be able to get that help at the push of a button. How do you do it is because you do things in the past that will create a reservoir of reciprocation that when the push when when you push that button, the gates are open, and the water uh, reciprocation river of reciprocation rushes in. To give you the help that you need.
3: Hmm.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: And so distributing these gifts that you have, distributing your strengths at scale builds this reservoir of um, energy coming back basically is is the way that you see this, right?
2: That is one. And then the second uh, metaphor that I want
1: uh,
2: you to want to share is called building, building blocks.
1: Building, building blocks. Okay. Yep.
2: (laughs) So if you see uh, the Lego blocks, right? So yep. if you see the Lego blocks, there are only a few of them in a, in, in a bag. You buy, bring a bag of Lego blocks. Mm. Maybe there are 100, maybe there are 500, but it's not 1 million. million, mm-hmm. it? It's just a few of them. Yep. But you can see with the right kind of uh, knowledge, you can assemble those building blocks to make so many superstructures. Isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. But if we extend that to life, mm. Life also can have Lego blocks, kind of building blocks, but you have to build those building blocks because Lego, you can go and buy them. Mm. In life, you have to build them.
1: So what do these building blocks look like?
2: It could be very simple, a deep, trusting relationship Mm. is one kind of a building block. Right. So if you have, let's say, one or two people in your life who have a deep, trusting relationship, Mm -hmm. they're available to you 24 by
3: 7. Mm -hmm. Right?
2: And then they will give you the feedback that you need, not what you wish for, isn't it? Mm. So that becomes a building, building block. Right. You're building a building. Then a skill that is relevant and also something that will move the needle Mm. is a building block. Which means, like I'll pick an example of... uh, Uh, One of my skills is linguistic philosophy. Mm. I studied linguistic philosophy for seven and a half years. Yeah. And uh, storytelling is another skill. Now you combine the two. Linguistic philosophy, the concept is your world is built using your words. Mm. Storytelling is to make the person, you, you can seduce the person in a good way, to take them to a destination that is right for them, Mm-hmm. it's also beneficial to you. Yep. The win-win. So, uh, now, what, that skill is a building block. So, right. why? Because, I can say things that are memorable and transportable. So, mm-hmm. memorable is easy. Transportable is, uh, sometimes people miss it. I'll give an example. Shall I give an example? Sure. So, for example, I say, "Amrut, I love to build long-term relationships. Mm-hmm. If I say it, it is neither memorable, nor transportable. Yep. Because it's like cliched statement and people say, okay, whatever. Everybody says that kind of thing. Yep. Now I want to put some punch in it.
3: So mm-hmm. let
2: me change the words.
3: Mm-hmm. I'll
2: say something like this. Amrit, if I like someone, I'll give them a one-way ticket to my heart. And once they get to my heart, it's like Hotel California. Now you see how much storytelling was put in, what kind of choice of words are used. Yeah, That means I love to build lifetime relationships.
1: It's the same thing. You said the same thing. Yep.
2: But now there is a punch in it.
1: Mm, absolutely.
2: So that's a building block. So you collect these building blocks. There are lots of such building blocks like Lego blocks. Mm-hmm. And you pick the ones that you want to build, but you invest a ton of uh, time, energy, money, and uh, mindshare in it. Mm -hmm. So when the time is right, you automatically use all of them to build a superstructure that you want.
1: Yeah. Sweet. So there's a couple of things that are sitting quite pertinently for me in this conversation is the first one is your love for stories and writing the books of fiction and then writing so many stories, reading so many stories, right? And then we're now talking about building blocks. And then, you know, there's a whole rabbit hole that's available to us to dive into with linguistic philosophy, which I can't wait to go into. But that's like a key building block in the tools of storytelling. And then around that, how does one as a storyteller such as yourself um, reconcile the fact that they're living a story in their life as well?
2: Yeah, first of all, it's all about stories in life. Mm. So basically,
1: uh,
2: my friend uh, uh, used to tell me a tourist will find what he or she is looking for,
3: Mm. right?
2: So for example, there is an old joke which I will share very quickly. Uh, Somebody comes to a a new town, and he says, you know, he's very angry. He says, if you don't give me food to eat, I'll do exactly what I did in the previous town. You need to give food to eat, or I I am going to do what I did in the previous town. And then the the restaurant guy said, I don't want any mishaps here. He gives the food. Next day, he comes, he says, even today I'm hungry. If you don't give me food, I'll do exactly what I did in the previous town. Is the food. Finally, one person who is watching him, he said, sir, what exactly did you do in the previous town? He said, I just stayed hungry. <laughs> so You see, the story, it seduces you, isn't yep. it? And then yep. you just want to know what's, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening.
1: Totally. So,
2: if you think about it, we live in stories because either we are telling stories to people around us or mm. we are telling stories to ourselves. Mm. Yep. And how do we tell the stories? We tell in conversations, isn't it? Absolutely. If you are having a conversation with you, or mm. if I'm not having a conversation with you, I'm having a conversation with myself about the conversation I had with you. Totally. Now, if you want to upgrade your life, there are only two conversations that you have to upgrade,
1: isn't right. it? internal
2: conversation Yep,
1: yeah, with yourself
2: is external conversation it is <laughs> yeah. as simple as that i love that let's take the external conversation mm-hmm. whatever said and done who you are having the conversation is the most important thing mm-hmm. that is equal or more important than the conversation itself right like if you are having a conversation with a drunkard Mm. There is no point in upgrading the conversation, you won't even know what it is. <laughs> right. it? Yep. But if you are having a conversation with some really, really smart person, mm-hmm. you have a better conversation, you come back as a better person. Mm. Isn't it? Now, yes. in the external conversation, one is let's assume that you got, you got the who covered, somebody mm-hmm. really smart. Yep. What are you going to have a conversation? changes the whole thing like you can talk about politics Mm
3: -hmm.
2: or things that are not in not you cannot control anything about it like weather climate sometimes you can do something about it but not really Mm -hmm. so you can have all the conversations that are completely tangential to what you can do tomorrow morning Mm -hmm. and then you can come back home and say i had a phenomenal conversation we talked about how to go to mars and then how to change (laughs) the climate thing yeah and all these things but uh, if your wife asks what will you do about it? Oh, nothing just uh, we had a good conversation means nothing right but once you decide on the who if you pick the what where your capacity to produce results or make an impact goes higher because of that conversation then mm-hmm. it matters more isn't right. it yep and then the uh, third thing in the conversation is there is talking and there is listening.
3: Mm.
2: isn't it? There are only two things that are happening. You are talking or you are listening.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Sometimes you are processing and everything, but mostly talking, listening. How much were you listening will determine what new things get into your head? If I'm not listening at all.
1: That's such an obvious distinction, but it's such a, yeah, 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 of course, of course. course. I
2: just go back and I had a great conversation. Did you learn anything? No, but most of the time I was talking. (laughs) (laughs) And probably you get better at what you are saying, but nothing new gets into the head.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense.
2: So that is the external conversation. Mm -hmm. In the internal conversation, you are only doing three things about the past, about now, and about the future. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else you can think about, isn't it? Sure. So in that, now you decide what percentage of things, time, are you spending in the past, present, or in the future? Obviously, the past, if it is used for reflection, present for planning, future for imagination, things go well. If you use past for blaming, in the present for manufacturing excuses, mm. future for daydreaming, things won't go well. Yep. Isn't it? Agreed. And uh, that's all there is. You master the two conversations. Life is good.
1: Yeah. And the, the art of the conversation that you're having with yourself is weaving the story that you then tell yourself, which is then weaving the story that you end up enacting and living through your life. Exactly. Yeah, fascinating. So, tell us more about this. Um, where did your so did your passion for linguistic philosophy come through from all the storytelling? Is that really the bedrock of what brought you to linguistic philosophy?
2: Or no, it was more uh, dramatic than that. I'll
1: oh, say. okay. Yeah, tell me the story. So, <laughs> Take so us on. The-
2: when I was uh, in 2000. I started my first company in the United States. Mm-hmm. By 2002, um, first of all, 2000, if you remember, you, you are very young, but if you do remember the 2000, what happened, It's uh, it was a disaster. The dot-com crash happened and yep. everything. It was a hell in a handbasket, right? Mm. At that time, we started a company which will help people recruit better. Now, you can imagine how much wrong we could be. Everybody were firing people. <laughs> We are telling them, oh, don't worry, we'll help you hire better people. The right people. <coughs> Sorry. Now, it was a disaster, but mm-hmm. we didn't give up. We morphed ourselves into some other company and we started selling solutions on open source and all those things. Mm-hmm. By 2002, we were in a stable grounds.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: At that time, I said, I want an external board member. Right. And I'm going to find somebody really smart. My mentor at that time, his name was Sterling Lanier. And he mm. said, I, you know, knowing you, you're a creative person. You should meet my friend Stan Leopard, mm. And uh, he probably will be the right board member. Yep. And I had a meeting. which was between three to four in Menlo Park. And I went there. The entire office had nobody. There was only one person. And uh, his name is Stan Leppard, he's just a phenomenal person. Mm -hmm. He took me to a room and there was some light music going on, Zen-like music. Mm -hmm. And then he said, let's talk about you, tell me about yourself and the company. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: You know, for a storyteller, that's a opening, dream opening, right? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So I started talking, 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 3 to 3.45 I talked. Everything included, but he was patiently writing some notes,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and then at three forty five he stopped He said, "Raj, we have talked for forty five minutes at this rate, you will continue to talk for one more one more hour, but yeah <laughs> so you want, you can do that. you can just continue talking four o'clock. The meeting is over, and there is nothing happens. Is it okay if I also talk mm. It was like a slap on the face. But I said, yes, yeah, definitely. And I started reading some from his notes. Mm. So it had two parts to it. The first part, he said, you came here to make me a board member. Let me tell you, I refuse the offer. I'm not interested. Oh wow. We can end that conversation there. But Mm -hmm. if you want to know more, why? I'm happy to share, but it's up to you. Do you want to know more? He mm-hmm. said, yeah. <laughs> By this time, I was, my face was a little bit small like
1: this. Yeah, hung. Yep.
2: <laughs> I was thinking, what will you say? Then he dropped the bombshell. He said, I don't think you are fit to be the CEO of the company. If you want to know more, I'll tell you why. I said, yes. <laughs> then he started telling everything that I was doing wrong. Hmm. I was thinking, the person does not know me from Adam. All he knows is my 45 minutes of monologue. Mm. How in the world was he able to make these assessments? Yeah. By this time, it was already 3.56 or something. He said, okay, we are done then. We are a few minutes early. So wish you all the best. I said, this cannot happen. I said, "Is there? I want to know, what did, is there any book that you read? Or how did you come up with all these things? They're all right on the money. Yeah. I said, yeah. he told, this is the problem you have. So the problem is you think everything is in a book and you can just read it and you can become a master. Right. You don't want to put in the real hard work. That's why I didn't offer you anything. I think we are done here. I said, and then it was at 358 or something. So. He got up, making me also get up, right? <laughs> Social queue. yep. Uh, and then at the door, I asked him one question. You know, we still have one more minute. Just give me a hint. Anything. And then try me. He said, ah, I can tell you, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think you will do anything. But there is a, a course on linguistic philosophy with a company called the Aji Network you can try to go there uh, mm. or you don't have to, but it's just you, because you asked, I want to tell you. Yeah. And then I said, okay. And then I, as soon as I closed the door, I Googled the RG network.
1: Mm.
2: It was somewhere in Los Altos, I directly drove there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and knocked on the door. And I, I'm sure they were not expecting me. I yeah. but I'm a storyteller. Yeah. I said. Mm. I didn't say I have an appointment. I didn't tell a lie. I yeah. said, I'm just coming back from a meeting with Stan Leppard. Yeah. So, and then I stopped there. Oh, you, so Stan sent you. I said, no, I just came from the meeting there. <laughs> <laughs> so they assumed something and they got me in. And I said, so how can we help you? I said, I want to join the course. Yeah. I so said, what course? Whatever you are teaching, I want to join it. He said, no, no, it won't work like that. You have to apply for it. And that's how the journey to the linguistic philosophy started. Ah. I studied there for several years, at least four or five years. And then on my own, I continued the study.
1: Mm.
2: And the entire uh, conversation there was about distinctions.
1: Ah, distinctions.
2: What does this really mean? Like, for example, what does an organization mean? What does the structure mean? So if you know the organization and structure of a company, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: you can guess what is the capacity they have to execute on their dreams. Right. You can keep asking the questions. Suppose I start asking you. I won't ask it now, but offline, suppose I ask you. Mm. So uh, Amrit, who are all there in your organization? Mm. And then you start telling. And then what do they do? And Mm. then you start telling before 15 minutes i will know exactly how much capacity you have to uh, perform on your uh, execute on your dreams yep because i trained linguistic philosopher right earlier i wouldn't know
1: right so how did linguistic philosophy help you with that so it's basically
2: for example mm-hmm. if i tell you a bicycle if i mm-hmm. say the word bicycle yep you know Without even asking you, I know that you got an image of something that has two wheels,
3: mm-hmm.
2: not one above the other, but one in front of the other. Yep. And there is a handle. There is some pedals. There are some spokes and wheels.
3: Mm.
2: All those things you know. Yep. Right? That's an organization. There's arrangement of a certain components in a certain order. Yep. Assuming that you are a mountain biker and I'm a casual weekend bicyclist, mm. the bike looks the same, but the properties of individual components are different, are different for you Absolutely. than me. Because mine is very simple. You have alloy wheels and then some gears and all those I don't have yeah. all those things, but to look and feel is the same. Mm-hmm. The exact properties of the individual components is the structure. Mm there is a difference between organization and structure of course depending on the stage of your company amrit yep. i can i can my goal is to ask you a few questions and find out what is the organization and the structure for right. example if you are in a high growth mode mm. and then you are not investing enough on marketing then mm. i know some structural issues there in your company
3: mm.
2: isn't it Yep. So you make assessments, you just find out the organizational structure and the space they are in and how competitive there is, and then their ambitions, and then see if the organizational structure fits that ambition or not.
3: Hmm.
2: So That's how you get to the, make the conclusion. So that's exactly what he was doing when he said, you are not fit to be a CEO. Not because I was not smart, because I had the wrong organization and wrong structure within my company.
1: Right, but doesn't linguistic programming imply that you're looking at language rather than organization and structure?
2: No, linguistic philosophy is yeah, about distinctions through language.
1: Distinctions through language. So, how did that help you? So, when someone says different parts, like when someone's articulating their organization and articulating the structure, you can discern through distinction what they're saying, what they're not saying, and that helps you diagnose exactly where things are at. And you have a clearer picture because you understand the words that they're using almost better than they are. Is that how you articulate it? Exactly.
2: See, for example, somebody says, uh, I'm pursuing an opportunity. Hmm. I just ask them a few more questions. And I will assess whether it is an opportunity or a possibility or a fantasy. Hmm. But they will not be thinking on those lines. They may be misconstruct misconstruing a possibility for a opportunity or a fantasy for an opportunity. Right. But I will see it. Do they have the structure and organization to pursue this as an opportunity? No. Is it a possibility? Yes. But sometimes it's not even ready. Oh, it's a fantasy. (laughs) So by labeling it right, you have so much power.
1: Right. You can source information from the story. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. And so this has obviously been very useful going forward once you learn. Every single day. Yep.
2: The other thing that has helped me a lot is I think of life as a game.
1: Uh, I love this. Yes. Tell me more.
2: <laughs> Have you heard of a game called Go? No. So Go is a game, like a strategy game, which is about 5,000 years old. Yeah. So you obviously know chess. Mm-hmm. And if you think chess is 9 out of 10 in strategy, this will be 99 out of 10. Wow. So it is as <laughs> deep As possible, but it is the closest thing to life and business. Closest thing to life and business. In fact, if you learn the art of the Go game, it's played on a 19 by 19 board Mm -hmm. and it has played with two stones, black and white. The black starts. And then the goal of the game, in, in the case of chess, what is the goal? It's to do a checkmate to the other king, right? So that's the goal of the game. It's to clear the, kill the other other party. Mm-hmm. In the game of Go, it's a very collaborative dance.
3: Right. You
2: don't kill the other person, but right. you start collaborating with them, even though they're an opponent. Mm-hmm. But finally, you get a little bit more territory than the other person. That's about it. It's a sure. territorial game. Mm-hmm. Now, If you think about it, so I place a black stone. Black always starts first. I place a black stone and your turn, I will say, Amrit, it's your turn. Mm -hmm. And then you say, okay, there are 361 squares and I used one of them. So there are 360 possibilities. You can place it wherever you want. But I cannot tell you, Amrit you know, we both are friends, but don't place the stone near my stone because it will be inconvenient for me. Yeah. You will say, that's not possible. I'll do whatever I want and you'll place it wherever. Mm. Now, you cannot tell me, hey, Raj, it's okay, whatever happened, happened, but you don't make me make it inconvenient for me. Please place it wherever you want, but not close to my stone. Mm. Again, you cannot say that. And it goes back and forth. I cannot tell you what you can do. But every time you place a stone, and based on the existing stones, the number of possibilities change for me, of course. because the board configuration has changed. Yep. Now, you bring it back to life, mm. you're playing the game of go with the mm-hmm. universe in life. You take an action, Yep. and then you wait for the universe to respond. Mm -hmm. You cannot tell the universe, you know, please respond in the way exactly convenient. (laughs) But then it lets you choose your response.
1: Yep. Isn't it? Absolutely.
2: So there is nothing else. The universe will not say you cannot do it this way. I have all the choices that I have Mm. and I can choose the best among the available options. Amazing. And the universe will do whatever it wants. In response, yep. All I can do is pick the best among the available possibilities in life. That's all there is. And as long as you, and not complain about how could they have done it. No, they will do whatever they want. Mm. (laughs) Isn't it? That makes me, the last time I was angry, Amrit, I don't even remember. Mm. Because nothing makes me angry. Because I always think that they place the stone wherever they want. Mm. I can decide to place my stone wherever I want. And sometimes I manufacture anger because people think I'm a nutcase if I'm never angry. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody loses a deal in the company (laughs) and they'll say, we lost the deal and I say, okay. And they'll say, okay, that's it. So I will have to manufacture anger. <laughs> I said, how the hell did we lose the deal? What is happening here? <laughs> so, but in reality, yeah. <laughs> I don't really care because... The stone is cast. Is. Yep. The stone is cast. And that's why uh, on my table in the in downstairs, I have four words that I'm very clear about. I'm mm. here is the first two words, mm. full stop. Yep. Where next? Is the next ah. one question mark. So I am here will make me get into the mood of acceptance. Yeah. Because what else is there other than to accept it? Mm. There is nothing else you can do. If you don't want to accept the reality, reality yeah. will not change, isn't
1: it? No, not at all. Yeah.
2: Reality does not even care whether you accept it or not. It is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. So you would rather accept it so that you are at peace with it. Mm. where next will make me be in the mood of wonder
1: Mm.
2: that is where all the possibilities emerge in the mood of wonder
1: yeah this is really fascinating because I uh, spent six months the first six months of this year uh, getting uh, coached by Eckhart Tolle and um, one of the key things that he took away out of everything, the synopsis kind of boiled down to three words. And the first one was acceptance. If you can really accept, you know, like your life situation, then your inner purpose can connect to the outer purpose of the universe, where he disowns you know, purpose being as two separate things. You have your inner purpose and the outer purpose. And he said, mm-hmm. if you can accept, you're in alignment. The next one is an enjoyment. If you are enjoying Mm. then you are, you are in alignment with the outer purpose because otherwise there is no space for enjoyment and you feel out of alignment. And then he said the third one is also enthusiasm, mm. this sense of energy, the way you feel like, okay, this is really potent, my inner purpose is in alignment and you feel that enthusiasm. But I can see how the acceptance I'm here and then the joy and the enthusiasm, uh, you know, they, they speak to wonder, where next yes. very well. Yeah. yeah, this is beautiful.
2: It's uh, always like that, and then if you have the curiosity of a kid, mm. it's are amazing. So even before we started the uh, recording this session, mm. all I was interested was what, where are you going? Yeah. What is your goal? Well, why? Because I'm just like I'm always like a kid. So I just yeah. want to learn more. What is there? And then with all the tools and technologies that I have and the connections I have who should I connect you to? Mm. That will be a mutual opportunity for each other.
3: Mm.
2: I don't want it to be one-sided, yeah. but I want it to be mutually beneficial. Mm.
3: Because
2: if I can do that, I create new possibilities for both parties.
3: Mm.
2: And how much did it cost? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Literally nothing. And why would I not do it? Because yeah. if I can spend literally almost nothing of my time, energy, money, and mind share, but Mm. create two new possibilities for people. Why would I not do it?
3: Mm.
1: So a couple of things that are coming up (coughs) for me um, in that is my kind of last two questions would be, firstly, uh, cultivating that sense of curiosity, that sense of wonder, staying childlike. Is Is that a discipline?
2: Yes, it is a discipline. And also, it's like this. If you want, I said, in the, your ability to give meaningful gifts at scale at mm. a very low incremental cost, what was the first thing that I said? You need to know your strengths, mm. and we can double click on it uh, just so that we cover it. The second thing is listening. Mm. Like, how will I give a meaningful gift if I don't even know what the other
1: listen? Can yeah, yeah, what I need, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally,
2: isn't it? Yeah, that's the re- re- reason I am very curious because. Otherwise, I won't know what is meaningful to you, Hmm. isn't it? And once you start doing certain things over and over again, it Hmm. becomes a habit. Yeah. Without you know it. So there are a few things. First, shall we double click on the strengths? How does one find out what is their true strength? Sure. So it's a really big problem for very smart people to know what is their true strength because they take it for granted when mm. they do something so effortlessly, they think it's not big enough. Because yeah, they're
1: unconsciously competent.
2: Yeah, and then if they don't know it, they won't nurture it. Mm. So how do they know? There are seven ways of doing it, but for the lack of time, I'll go to the last one, which is the most important thing, which sure. is you notice the requests that are of high stakes that are coming your way without even you asking for them. What does that mean? Sure. Suppose you are a really good negotiator. Mm -hmm. You may not know it because you have taken it for granted. But people around you know it. Mm. They'll keep coming to you and say, Amrit, I'm buying this car or I'm selling this company or whatever it is, but the stakes have to be high. Mm. And then they'll come and ask you for help. What do you think we should do? Mm. And you start noticing them and then you'll see a pattern emerging. Yep. this is why the world sees me as my strength. I would I, let me nurture it even more so that I can strengthen my strengths.
1: Amazing, that makes sense. That's it. Totally. So that's
2: why you need to know it. So mm-hmm. if you don't know it, it'll be a crime. I always ask those people, "What is your superpower?" Hmm. And then they say, "What is a superpower?" Superpower is something you do effortlessly but creates enormous value for other people. <laughs> Now, somebody will say something and most of them have to reflect on it. They don't even know. But let's assume that they know it. And let's say they say, my superpower is storytelling. Somebody says that. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I always ask them, how are you using the superpower almost every single day to create value? Mm. So most of them are not doing it. I ask them, do you brush your teeth every day? (laughs) What is an insulting question? How can I say it? Is if, if your teeth is that important, why is your superpower equally not important? Mm. Isn't it? If you take care totally. of your teeth every day, don't you think you need to take care of your superpower? Yeah. You cannot say I dressed it last week you know, this week I'm busy. No. <laughs> you do it every yeah. single day. It's interesting so that isn't call it? it re-engineering the being. Mm. So many times people say, how do you create a habit? I say, no, you cannot create. Habits are 1.0. Mm. If you want 2.0 or
3: 3.0,
2: mm. re-engineer your being. Yeah, that You don't even think of it like a habit. Yep. You think of it like part of your operating system. I love it. So your identity. Yeah, it's in your identity and you cannot say, I did it because you're. it's part of you. So you don't do anything. You just be. Mm. So now, in 2007, I studied yoga from uh, Sadhguru. Uh, mm. Vasudev. And then uh, the teacher was a person called Namath. And then I mm. asked Namath, you know, uh, Namath, if I want to do this for the rest of my life, how many, day, how many days should I do it? And then immediately I said, what's a silly question? If I want to do it for the rest of the life, there is no question. (laughs) But then I realized the question I wanted to ask her was, for Mm. it to become my second nature, how Mm. many days does it take? Yep. And she gave me an answer that I was really thankful for her. She said, you know, if you want to take this as a challenge, will you take it as a challenge? I said, Mm. yes. Then you do this practice every single day for the next six months, without fail, but twice a day, morning yep. and evening. And then after that, you can stop uh, evening or morning, whatever it is. I did that, uh, Amrit, for not failing. I, it was an airport, wherever, I never... Uh, Stopped, yeah. But then at the end of six months, I felt like uh, this is nothing, this is one, I had to do it only yeah. once.
1: To so, not do it becomes weird, no? Yeah. <laughs> yes, And then,
2: it had, I had re-engineered my being at that time since 2007 mm. to 2019 when we were talking I yep. have skipped yoga only two days I never skipped it Just wow. two days. So because it's now part of my being I mm. cannot even say anything I, I, I don't even think I cannot think in the last 10 years I have not skipped it one day
1: amazing there was a one thing I remember that I uh, I read of yours, which was, you know, you grow a lot by giving good help. I remember when you said this, it really stuck for me, which is finding your strengths to help people with, but then um, really helping people and just the 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 energy of just giving and giving, and not expecting in return, but also allowing the help that you're facilitating others the caliber of it to improve you as an individual.
2: 100% agree with you. In fact, yeah, there is a little bit of a nuance there. Should mm. I go ahead and share it?
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: <laughs> so It's like this. So any kind of book, for example, I'll use an example of a book. Mm. So no book will provide you contextual help, isn't it? So mm. it will always uh, provide you conceptual help. Mm -hmm. which means it will give you the concepts and it is up to you to apply it in your context to get the result, isn't it? Yes. The same with you. Suppose you were a book. So on your own, you will will only be able to provide conceptual help. But if somebody asks you, uh, makes you a request, you now apply the concept that you have in the context that they have and produce the result. If 10 people come to you for the same concept, you cannot say you applied the same concept in the same context. You applied mm. it in 10 different contexts. You contextualized it, yes, of course. So that is where, where the power is. Now what yeah. happens is, as you build your contextual expertise for the conceptual knowledge that you have, mm. you become extremely powerful. Why? Because you you, you become a ninja on patterns. Isn't it? Oh, if this happens, this happens, if this happens, this happens. In the game of Go, for example, it's called a joseki. Joseki is a series of moves that will go from one equilibrium to another equilibrium. So when you know this joseki, is, that means joseki may be in real life, it may be how to win the first customer. Mm. Now, suppose you are a master at winning the first deals. Mm. If you start helping different people, this, the businesses, these different people have are different. One of them may be selling a flower and another person may be publishing books. The other person may be selling some widgets. Hmm. So, but you are a master at winning them first deals, which yep. is very hard for people. But you help enough people to win their first deals. You become an even better master at winning first deals because you know contextual knowledge for your conceptual uh, ability.
1: Yeah, it sounds a lot like uh, teaching consolidates the learning in a big way as well. That's something that I, I definitely adhere to.
2: Yes, exactly. So it's one of those gifts that you give that gift and you give the gift to yourself. By giving the gift to somebody else.
1: (laughs) Isn't that such a blessing? Life is amazing, huh? Talking about life is amazing. Uh, One of the things you mentioned as we slipped out and slipped back in was napkin insights. Napkin insights. Napkin. uh, Okay. Is it one word? Is it two words? Napkin insights or napkin insights?
2: What I did is I booked both the domains. because. i knew somebody will uh, think napkin insights or napkin sites so <laughs> i have both of them and both of them go to the same site called napkin sites Talk. i
1: love it tell me more about napkin sites <laughs> so
2: napkin sites is any napkin uh, any insight that can fit in a paper napkin uh-huh. is called a napkin insight yeah right? so i am of the opinion that you know people are uh, bombarded with negative news everywhere Mm. So I try to put uh, an aha moment, uh, something that will give an aha moment in a random place. <laughs> Isn't it? Uh-huh. So when that happens, people say, oh. And imagine there I have 2,252 napkin sites so far on Facebook. <laughs> How many? 2,252.
1: That's a lot of aha moments. <laughs> yes. And
2: then, Absolutely. you know, people will... Uh, <laughs> Will get um, uh, they will because it's so small and so short. Mm. People say I don't have the time for it, and by the time they decide that they don't have the time for it, they would have consumed five or six napkins.
1: (laughs) You get them all the goings good.
2: (laughs) So I'll tell you the latest one I wrote. Yes, please. I
1: was having a conversation
2: with someone, and it inspired me to write this. So the latest one is uh, called Past and the Future. Mm. That's the title. It says. While anyone you touched in your life will always remain in your history, there is no necessity to force with everyone in your future. Isn't it? I, um, it? I don't give the explanation because I want them to think
1: and process. Right? Yeah.
2: So and then they will say, "Is this right?" I don't expect everyone to agree with me, but uh, my goal is to make them think. Yeah. I don't yeah. want them to agree with everything, right? Because I'm not God, so there is no chance that I will say everything I say will be hundred percent right in hundred percent of the context and hundred percent of the time <laughs> in past, present, and future. That yeah. will be too much. <laughs> But it will definitely make them think and say, mm. you know, sometimes people will feel guilty when some relationships strain and go away. When in fact, they were never meant to be. It's like this. You are going from, let's say, from Bangalore to Delhi in a train. Mm. Somebody wants to travel with you from Bangalore to, let's say, Mumbai. Mm. And they got their destination. They had to leave the train. You cannot say, no, I'm going to Delhi. You need to come with me to Delhi. Because you came to me from Bangalore. I don't want to leave. You. You say, but I got my, my station. I have to leave in Mumbai. Like, we're all travelers in our own journey. Mm. And some, some people will join us in part of the journey. And all we have to do is be grateful for the part they played. Mm. During the time they played that part. Absolutely. Isn't it? You yeah. cannot say, no, you got your destination, but you don't want to leave. I have, you have to be with me.
1: Yeah.
3: They, said
2: they have their own path. Probably they, had, they want to go to Lucknow. Mm. They have to take another train from somewhere. Mm. Right? So you, you have to bless them for what, be grateful for who they were while they were in your life. And then when they leave and go on to their own path, bless them so that they have a good life.
1: Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about this a little bit just to get super deep on this on this topic. Is you know, like I've I've lost friends to actually uh, ways of being <laughs> in yes. the past. Like I've had to, uh, I just call it. I've I've lost a, one of my dearest friends just to he didn't want to be friends with me anymore because I was consistently I had a positive outlook, and that was frustrating and invigorating. And that
2: was negative for him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For him, it felt like I was losing touch with reality. <laughs> and I was like, reality is completely subjective, my friend. <laughs> I choose to look at it positively. And he was like, you're out of touch, you're out of whack, see you later. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that's, you know, I'm, I'm laughing now. But at the time it was, as you can imagine, losing relationships is, you know, has all the 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 trappings of Maya, I guess, involved in it, right? So like you have that real the real uh, challenge that is that presents in that time. But one of the things I've been pondering recently is also, you know, I'm, you know, by no means forecasting like any anyone passing away, but generally just having a conversation around, you know, like realizing that your loved ones will also Pass at some point, and how much attachment we have to our relationships more than anything else. Like I know we all can see our attachment to things, and it's not necessarily positive for society and the world and the way we function. But our our attachments to people are far deeper, and I know I struggle with this myself. Just even thinking about certain people no longer being part of my life, not because of mental thought models or taking on positivity, but actually the hand of death coming for them. Um, and taking them away from me one day is is quite a quite a process to process, and really uh, inflames the insights, I guess, in terms of um, that that you're sharing. You know
2: have you done any work on stoicism?
1: Yes <laughs> so if
2: you see the Stoics have one practice, uh, shall we talk about it for a minute? For sure so Stoics have a practice which seems very dark. Mm-hmm. but it makes you more present. I'll share what it is yeah. in the form of an example. So there are, let's assume that there are two homes and the, both of them have small families, one little daughter in each one of them. And one of the dad is a stoic and the other dad is not. In the stoic practice, every now and then, the dad, for a brief moment, thinks that the child is no more. Not that he wishes the child to be no more. And then goes into the space and mm. thinks, what would the world look like if the child were no more? Mm. Not, not ever wishing for it. But yeah. then he will realize, now that the child is there, how precious the child is what for What a him.
1: gift and a blessing.
2: And the moment he does that once in every few months, Amrit, he will never be not present for the child because he knows what the world is without the child because In people don't essence. realize, it, right? So it's uh, what you say is so correct and uh, you, nobody can prevent death and no, we don't want to wish anybody to go away. But what we forget is that knowing that something like that might happen, we still are not present to them when they are there. Mm. So everything becomes uh, special once you realize the impermanence of life. So you will be fully present.
1: Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's really profound. Something that's sitting with me um, at the moment in this juncture in our conversation is the, like, the things that fascinate my curiosity are generally philosophy and wisdom you know uh, behavioral psychology and all these yummy little things where you know us and our interfaces with the universe and how we interact with it and you know what are we creating what are we absorbing and all that sort of stuff um is yeah it, it continues to fascinate me and i can see that you know oh, i feel that you know we we share some strands of curiosity really deeply what does curiosity really mean to you
2: see for me it is uh, Whenever I meet someone, I'm always interested to know how did they reach to where they reached mm. because the story is always fascinating. <laughs> this the, comes back
1: to you uh, in your storyteller ways. Yeah, I love it. I love it. it. Yeah. So when
2: when you are when you know the path that they took to get there, it cannot it can never be not interesting. Mm. Because everybody's story is super fascinating. Yeah. Right. So. I'm, for me, curiosity is to find the puzzle pieces that actually make the puzzle, mm. isn't it? Everybody has those elements that will make them complete. It, it is their worldviews, it's their beliefs, it's their environment they grow up. It is always fascinating. For me, people talk about boredom that never exists in my life. Because if you're interacting with someone and you're curious, how can, in, how can you be bored? Mm. Impossible. If you're not curious, for example, you will be bored. Because mm. it look, everything will look the same. Isn't it? Yeah. Curiosity and boredom cannot coexist.
1: Mm. I love that. I love that. I actually sometimes think about the fact that, you know, my boredom helps me be creative. Because sometimes I intentionally take time out to not be engaged with reading not be engaged with exercise, not be engaged with, as possible, thought devices and all this sort of stuff to actually cultivate what I seem to think is a sense of boredom. Um, and in that, I find creativity really to be something that really emerges in that space. But perhaps it's me being curious about what's in the epidermal layer.
2: <laughs> if you think about it, I don't think the word boredom existed long before the computers were all there, were there, isn't it? It's basically mm-hmm. think about it. People didn't have anything that the, overstimulation is the name of the game here, mm-hmm. right? People need to be stimulated every now and then because think about the number of times people check their emails to see if there is a new email that has popped in
3: mm-hmm.
2: and you ask them just for fun. Are you expecting any emails? Is there a deal happening? Are you waiting for something? People say no. Is there any important thing that you have missed? No. Why are you checking your emails?
1: I'm Pavlov's dog. I want to.
2: Because what if there is something that, that, that I should be looking at? But are you expecting anything? No. But what if it's there? Because now we are so tuned to being stimulated. When there is no stimulation, you feel it's boredom.
3: Mm.
2: But when a few decades ago, mm. there were no, there was not much stimulation possible. There is no internet, there is no TV, there is no nothing. I don't think people were saying they were bored because they were with the nature, mm. isn't it? Once you disconnect yourself from the nature, and then you start expecting stimulation every now and then, as if without that your life does not exist. Mm. It becomes a problem. Now, your boredom, what you labeled as boredom, is probably the silence that you are experiencing. Mm. And obviously in silence, there is so much creativity that happens. Isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: For somebody else, if you are silent, they might think, Amrut must be bored because he's not doing anything. Because people think the sign of life means people have to be doing. Yeah. But in reality, the sign of life is you have to in the be in the being, mm.
3: isn't yep. it?
2: It's a really profound
1: person. For the
2: person, person who is always doing something and the need to do something, uh, somebody is just in the being. Mm. They think this guy is given up on life. He's not doing anything. Mm. What is wrong with him? When the other person who is just being, he might be very blissful and happy that he is in the being state.
1: I love that yeah absolutely I like the way you frame that is it's less boredom it's more cultivating silence and from the silence there's so much space for for curiosity and then for creativity to emerge I have to say Rajesh looking at like all the creative I'm just going to call them exploits there's other way there's other words for it for sure um, but look at all the creative exploits that drive you is creativity something that you believe is cultivated or is it something that you actively uh, endeavor upon embark upon consistently? Like there's 2000 plus napkin insights. Now um, the books keep coming, <laughs> your business yeah. ventures keep occurring. So, you know, this, this essence of creativity, looking from the outside in, someone would say that you're hyper creative. Um, tell us a little bit about your process and what, why that is the case and, you know.
2: See, there are some aspects of it you can train. Some aspects of it is in your mindset. Mm. So for example, when I was in a conference uh, uh, with a company called 800 CEO Read, which is a big uh, wholesale bookseller, they're very famous uh, for bulk selling bulk books for authors. So they conducted a conference one day, two-day conference with uh, 20 other authors. And then I happened to sit next to... A person called Dan Rome, so he wrote the book Back of the Napkin and uh, several books in that series. So I didn't know who was Dan before that, and then he had not published his book yet. He's, he was saying he's writing a book called uh, Back of the Napkin. Yeah. And then uh, uh, I was never good at drawing anything, including a circle. So when my mom told me that you should become an engineer or a doctor, my my the criteria to choose engineering was there is no drawing there, <laughs> right? My I always worried that if I write an intestine, people will think it's a snake or something. <laughs> right? So I said, oh, I can't draw, so let me be engineer.
3: Yeah.
2: But then uh, Dan was uh, of the opinion that anybody can draw. I said anybody might be able to draw, but I am not. One <laughs> of them. I don't belong it. He said, Come on, Raj, we can draw. I can make a, a person who will draw. Can you write a circle? Let's do it. Before the next two hours, I became confident that I can draw. Amazing. If you think about it, there was some instruction and inspiration from Dan, but Mm -hmm. there was a mindset switch in me that I can. So both training and a mindset switch has to happen to develop Mm -hmm. a skill. The confidence has to come from within. But the instruction and inspiration can come from an external person. But once I was there, all it requires is practice. So to remember that before you become a pro, you have to go through a phase of an amateur. Mm. If you don't remember that, you give up. Yep. Because you will say the first few things were really bad. And you will say, I can't do it. This is impossible to me. But once you know that you are always going to be an amateur before you become a pro and you will do it it's like when uh, when the kid is crawling before walking and keeps falling down every every time it tries to stand the kid cannot say you know i tried to stand and all it's mm-hmm. forget it i'll just it's not worth it crawl. i'll
1: just keep crawling
2: <laughs> right? so it'll never happen and then every time we learned like for example when you first start learning to drive a car so is it inborn or is it trainable? Of course, it's it's not inborn. You are not born with a car anyway. You yeah. learned it, right? Yeah. And then now you are a pro. Now you don't even think you are talking to someone, you are eating some noodles in the way, and then you are uh, trying to find the phone number of someone else. And while you are driving, and you are, there are other people who are cutting you off the lane, and you are still not worried. And if somebody asks you, exactly what did you do to drive the car? You say, you don't even remember. It's in your background thinking. Mm. Same with any skill. Sometimes you need a trigger to say, I want to do this. Then there is an instruction and an inspiration so that you know how best to do it. But the switch has to happen from within the mind to say, I can do it and I will be good at it.
1: One of the things that's sitting really present for me as you're articulating that is how much, uh, one of the sayings that uh, I I hear a lot is, or I use a lot actually, is uh, perfectionism spells procrastination. So you write perfectionism, but what actually is spelt out is procrastination and what i'm what i'm realizing in what you're sharing is that actually the two key examples you gave both of them one of like crawling there was no idea of perfect walking as a child you have no idea of what is the perfect walk you just go on the amateur phase and you, you're you happy to sort of learn the journey and the process as it comes. Same thing with driving a car, you know. There's no, I'm going to drive this car perfectly, you know. it's I'm just going to go on the journey of learning. And I think if we all took a bit more of that, like personally, just reflecting into like our businesses, into our work, into our relationships, you know, like a relationship doesn't start off perfect. You know, you go through your amateur phases and then you consistently work and work and work on it. And like you said, eventually after a while, it all becomes second nature.
2: Totally agreed. And what prevents you from becoming a pro is the thought that sometimes it gets into your head. What do other people think of my skill? Yeah. Once you get that out of your head, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. basically you start enjoying for the sake of doing that skill Mm. Not worry about the end result. Magic happens. Like for example, I write an napkin site. I post it on Facebook. Sometimes I see who is, is somebody liked it or not. But in reality, what I am using Facebook is as a file transfer mechanism from me to my designer friend in Malaysia called Ming. Mm. So. Rather than emailing him my written napkin site, I say, there is Facebook. It's free to transfer files there. Mm. I post it there and he will pick it up and he will make it look really, really beautiful, but we use this as a file transfer mechanism. Yeah. Now, along the way, some people like it, comment it, good for me and good for them, but I'm not expecting anything. Yeah. All I want to do is, is this file transferred to Ming in Malaysia?
3: Mm.
2: And it's done.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think what you're sharing here is one of the deepest insights I've had uh, and I carry for a while is being like the peace and the calm and the creativity. So many things emerge out of this space. I can list a whole stuff of them, but let me just say what it is. So being process-oriented rather than outcome-oriented yes. is kind of what I'm hearing you say here.
2: Correct. It's There is no other way because if you think about it, if you go back to the, the scriptures in our Gita, what it says is you, you have the right to the actions, but not the right to the fruits of that action. But that does uh, not mean that you yes. can skip the action. That is chapter 2, verse 47 in Bhagavad Gita. right? So once you internalize it, there is a lot of peace of mind because uh, said in uh, the newer terms, I use a term called op- optionality. Mm-hmm. That means in the Go game, there is a term called Miai, M-I-A-I. So, suppose there is, I'm playing black and you're playing white, and then uh, I, I am in a position that I have what is called as Miai. That means you try to kill me from the right, I have a position in the left, I'll go there. If you try to kill me from the left, I have a position in the right, I'll go there. So, you will never be able to kill me because I have what is called as mei optionality. I have optionality. Right, right. Now, water is a good example of optionality.
1: Yeah, isn't if you it?
2: think about it, water starts flowing and it wants to reach the sea or the ocean. And it hits upon a boulder and it says, what are my options? Up, down, left, right. I'll use one of them. Says, right is blocked. Okay, they will go to the left. Left is blocked, I'll go to the right. Both are blocked, I'll go top. Both the top is blocked, I'll go to the bottom. But it will not stop. But once you create a mindset of optionality like water, Mm. you are never perturbed. Because when one door closes, if you keep focusing on the closed door, there is no path forward. But if you say, ah, that door is closed, let me see where else is there. No doors are open. What about a window? Oh, is there? What about the roof? Uh, what about the chimney? I keep looking at it, and I, I keep looking for options.
1: Mm. The you flow, know? the flow that's available. Yeah, that's that's really incredible. So uh, that optionality that you're speaking of, having consistent options, but then when you're trying to guide yourself forward to a certain, is it an intention? For you personally, that you use through your creative process, is it like an intention yeah. that will guide you?
2: Yeah, the direction is important, but mm. the path exact path should have many options because mm. no path is guaranteed to be uh, foolproof, isn't yeah. it? There is always breakdowns, and in fact, think about it this way: if that is not there, that is when you will be bored.
1: Some paths are foolproof though, because I've
2: walked some of them. <laughs> yes. So if you think about it, you think of something, I want to do it, and then it happens flawlessly. And then you think of something, you want to do it, it happens flawlessly. Mm. Think of something, it happens flawlessly. What do you think will happen? You'll be bored. Mm -hmm. You need adventure. People say, I don't want uncertainty. You remove all uncertainty from their life, they'll be bored.
1: It's bland. It's very bland. There's no salt or pepper even. (laughs) Exactly.
2: So people, we have to be careful what we wish for. Mm. Because sometimes God might say, oh, okay, remove all the uncertainty from your life. And then they said, what is There is no life.
3: Mm.
2: So, in fact, if there are no constraints, there is no growth either. Mm. You may hate constraints, but you don't want to give up growth. So you might as well say, you know, constraints give me growth. Okay, don't remove the constraints, but
1: increase my
2: skills so that I can overcome those constraints and keep growing.
1: Wow, that's profound. Yeah, it's your boundaries that help you grow.
2: Exactly. And that's why don't boundaries. say, oh, no, please remove my boundaries. No, 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 let the boundaries be improve my skills
1: within those boundaries, and then at a certain point, you will expand beyond those boundaries again to move into the next phase. You know, one of those things about boundaries, thank you so much for articulating all of that, um i've heard and one of the things that really inspired me to connect actually at the seat of this podcast so it's really cool that we're having this conversation now is you know we talked about uh you you, I, i caught you i caught you off guard i caught you talking about um how we basically function in circles and tribes um and for the most part it's like we evolve with our tribe and we're a lot, yes. like we kind of maintain that behavior, um, but one of the key things that really stuck me and uh, stuck with me, and has been—I have to admit—my intention for this year, from the beginning of the year, not necessarily for these reasons, but this is how I came and came across you in my research—was you said that kindness, right, is, or I think you mentioned it being like being super nice is an extreme advantage right that is true because it helps you transcend even your tribal like like and your tribal awareness is such a primitive function for the mind it's so like intrinsic to our interactions to everything we do a lot of you could argue about society and capitalism is about finding yes. the right mate and so that's even tribal you know but you, right. you, you you spoke to kindness and niceties as like a way to hack the system almost. Is that correct? Can you tell us that more 100% about that? Right. <laughs> Please so tell us me, more. Yeah.
2: So let me tell you how it happens. If you think about it, we're always going in circles within our tribes. What is a tribe? A tribe is a group of people that have the similar power and capacity to make things happen. Like for example, hmm. there are a bunch of, I'll use money as a one example. There are a bunch of people who are millionaires, And then there is a billionaire who comes into the tribe. And then immediately they will see that there is out of sync. Mm. These people are thinking about buying an apartment complex. He's thinking of buying an island. And they're thinking of uh, hacking the travel so that they can get a free upgrade from business class to first class. He's thinking of buying the next jet plane. After some time, there is out of sync, isn't yeah. it? Because yeah. the capacity to get things done is the defining criteria in, in a tribe. Mm-hmm. So it may not be the exact same things, but in general, the size and nature of the things that they can get, get done mm-hmm. is the same power they have. But what happens, and then when you when you increase the power and capacity to get things done, you move to the next tribe who have the similar power and capacity to get the similar things done. So you keep moving, moving, moving. And then along the way, uh, you reach a stage when it's after some time with certain power, then it becomes egalitarian because it need not be tribes because then there, there won't be many tribes that will say he's a billionaire and he's a 10 billion. After some time, you know, you can get things done with anything you want, with the money you have and the influence you have. But until that time you keep growing in tribes, but when you are super nice and super kind, there is an advantage. Even if you don't belong to that tribe, because you are such a nice person, they will say, you know what, let him be here. And it's never spoken out loud. It's just in actions. They welcome you. And when they welcome you, knowing that your power and capacity to get things done is not same as theirs, They still welcome you. Now what happens? They start including you in their conversations. The conversations are what will raise the capacity and power to get things done because you start thinking like them. And very soon, your power and capacity will be equivalent to that of those in the tribe. And then something good happens. You can jump the tribe again into the next tribe where your capacity and power to get things done is not equivalent to them. But because you are nice and kind, they'll say, you know what, let him let him or her stay because he's such a nice person to have and he's very kind. We want him in the tribe. Again, the nature of conversations will keep lifting your capacity and power to get things done. So if you're super nice and super kind, obviously you need to have certain competence. You cannot mm-hmm. use super nice and super kind as proxies for incompetence. That <laughs> won't work.
3: Mm. It's a good disclaimer.
2: Be, yeah. yeah otherwise, you'll be there, but you will be the joker of the tribe, mm. right? <laughs> you will be the clown. Mm. So that's that's not where you want to be. You want to be treated in an egalitarian fashion,
3: mm-hmm.
2: not to be treated as a clown in the group, mm. right? But when it is all real, then you have an unfair competitive advantage. That's why I say nice people will win all the time as long as they are reasonably competent. Because you don't have to be 100% superstars, but the conversations that they're having with the superstars in the tribe slowly lift their capacity and power to get things done.
1: I think it's really interesting that you're sharing that nice guys win (laughs) when there's such a saying in society that nice guys finish last. And I think just the collective programming, yeah.
2: Yeah, and also sometimes uh, you know there is uh, society. They they make things up. nobody yeah. questions them. I'll, <laughs> give you an, I'll give you an example. Yeah. So when when you when have you heard of the press? Don't no study means the race. Yes. So as soon as you hear it, what is the story that comes to your mind?
1: Patience. Oh, the let's hair go. and the the hair and the turtle.
2: Okay, let's play that out, Amrit. Let's assume that there is a hare and the turtle race happening mm. in a thousand cities across the world.
3: Mm.
2: One thousand cities right now. Mm. What are the chances that in how many races the hare will say, "You know what? I'll sleep in the middle of the race."
1: <laughs>
2: what are the chances? Stop uh, it, Rajesh. I'll when I'll when you here. make
1: sense, you get into trouble. Stop making sense. <laughs> so what happens? Is, yeah,
2: you're right. You're right. You're plot right. story to create a conclusion that is flawed. Mm. But the stories numb people's mm. thinking. Yep. So when you say the story is flawed, because there is no reason for the hair unless it's a really lazy hair. Yeah. Right? And really productive tortoise. They start running a race. It's one in a million chance.
3: Mm.
2: It never hair will never sleep in the middle of the race. But now they made up a flawed story. And then they created a conclusion that they say it's not flawed. How, how is it even possible? <laughs> but now uh, they teach it in uh, primary schools, and then they're teaching flawed thinking. I mm. say, slow and study wins the race, when there is nobody else who is fast and study. Mm. So, yeah. so there are a lot of things in life, no? when it is said again and again and again, there is a the need burger. to revisit it. Yep. Yep. And revisit and see, we have to go to the first principles. When somebody tells a story, because of that, we need to do this. Okay, well, let's see if the story is right or flawed.
3: Hmm.
2: Because you are making the conclusion based on the story. There is another one story, fisherman and uh, the fisherman and the millionaire or something like that. So in that, so there is a fisherman who is uh, resting on the beach. Mm. So there is a millionaire who comes and says, it's only two o'clock, why are you sleeping? He said, oh, I caught all the fish that I want, and now I can sleep. He said, can you imagine if you, fish, if you went fishing for four more hours, don't you think you will have a little fish? bit more fish? He mm. said, yes. And then? And the millionaire says, then you can sell more and you can make some more money. And then? And then he goes on and on and on and on and he builds an empire. Finally, the millionaire says, uh, the fisherman says, and then? Then you can rest in the afternoon. That's what I'm doing now. Hmm. Now, you see the amount of flawed thinking in this story. To make a point that is also flawed, is what they say is, the first scenario and the second scenario are exactly the same. In the mm-hmm. first scenario, the fisherman has no, no capacity to handle any emergencies mm-hmm. because he's living hand-to-mouth. Yep. Some, something happens, somebody meets with uh, some debilitating disease or something, he has no way to do it. The second case that the millionaire is what is advising the fisherman is that he's resting but he has enough capacity to handle any emergencies, not only his emergencies, probably the emergencies of his uh, neighbors or not relatives twice. or loved ones or anyone. But mm. the way the sarcasm inside the story is, the millionaire is a fool. Mm. Because he has no idea what he is doing. You should not work hard. You mm. should just rest. Because when you finally work hard, all you can do is rest. <laughs> and they forget that the million dollars in the bank an insurance policy not just for them for anybody else in the, any of their loved ones i'm not saying that you, greed is good i'm saying irresponsibility is bad that's mm. what i'm saying
1: thank you for discerning that i want to ask you a personal question um which is from there you know there's many places where there are these stories, there are these parables, some intentionally, some less intentionally designed to, as you put it, numb our thinking. They have invested within them and these seeds of flawed thinking. What do you, how do you discern your way through this to keep your, the anvil of your mind shut?
2: See, if you think about, uh, let's take about internet marketing. I'll use that example to bring out a point. Mm. Somebody says, put this ad, it'll work. Somebody says, no, put this ad, but make the button red. Mm. Somebody else says, you know, give some space in between. Because uh, actually cut short the last buy now, add buy now, and then it will work. So many people are so many saying, what do internet yep. marketers do? They will say, we'll test it. Mm. Isn't it? Yeah. Nobody yep. will say as long as it is a reasonable uh, request, they will say, I'm going to test it. Yep. So same in life. There is no A B testing in life, but we can do some small tests to see if it works.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Isn't it? So yep. the problem is you think something will work. And without testing, you start believing that it will work. That is where the flawed thinking is. There are ways to test things. That's why, like you said, perfectionism is equivalent to procrastination. Why? Because in the name of perfectionism, you keep twiddling, tinkering without showing it to anyone. Mm. Then you will never be able to make progress. So only when you can... uh, when you can be vulnerable and say that I don't know if it will work, but I'm going to try it. And you be comfortable with yes or no, success or failure, then automatically things happen and you, you learn by experience rather than uh, hunch.
1: Yeah, I think that's, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that. That's really profound. And really, really pragmatic and really practical. And I think that has been like one of the biggest things that I've taken away from this entire episode and these conversations that we've had. We've talked about many different things, but consistently found ways to really ground it in and make it practical. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I'm really inspired in the moment to, yeah, just reflect back to you. Just the, you know, this having this spiritual context, this philosophical context, but consistently testing it against, you know, like how does this actually fare in my day-to-day life? How does it actually serve? Where does it not serve, but still promotes my growth? And just having all these, you know, um, integrations of your spirituality into your into your day-to-day work.
2: There is also one more reason to help a lot of people, which is also you help a lot of people that will help you back in many fold. I'll give you one example. Mm -hmm. First of all, I told you there is a conceptual knowledge. The application happens in a contextual uh, schema, isn't it? So now imagine you are helping 10 entrepreneurs become successful with your own skill. Your skill may be having the right mindset. Mm. But having the right mindset in different contexts means different things, the practical aspects of it. But you keep doing it because you want to help them. Mm. But what is happening is your own ability to apply the right mindset in different contexts is growing. Isn't it? Absolutely. Which means your own capacity to apply in a brand new context is, keeps going. Mm-hmm. And it's not only growing in capacity, it's also growing in the in the context of speed, because very soon somebody asks you a question, Amrit, what sh- what should I do? Within a matter of seconds, you say, this is what you need to do. And for somebody else, it looks like magic. For you, it looks like one more context, I'm playing mm. the same concept in one more context. Yep. That's why I keep telling people, especially the young people, just go and help people without worrying about getting anything, because. Mm. It's, it's a mislabeling that they're not getting anything. What they're getting is the confidence and the capability to apply this conceptual knowledge in a different context at rocket speed.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I remember when I started out with my speaking career, just even like I would pay for flights and accommodation to go speak overseas just for the opportunity to speak because I'd be learning the craft and the art of you know speaking and just that you know, that. Was so invaluable, just the opportunity to go. Um, and whereas people were, oh no, I'm not going to do that because I'm not getting reimbursed for it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. financially not viable for me to go. It's like, no, 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 like this is me investing in my education. <laughs> you know, this is like, exactly. yeah, yeah. So I exactly. resonate with that.
2: And then uh, when you're finally, when you make it and you start getting paid speaking engagements. Then there are people who are sitting on the sidelines and they can say, this Amrit guy, he's really lucky.
1: Yeah, Always
2: yeah. he's in the right time and the right that's place true. with the right people.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so lucky.
2: Mm-hmm. Me, I don't get all, any of those opportunities. <laughs> See, on the other hand, because luck is, the, is something that people use to define other people's hard work and the fruits of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, one of my favorite stories uh, to tell is, you know, there's, a, there's this guy, musician, plays an amazing piece. Mm. At the end of the concert, everybody comes up to him and they said, oh, you're so talented. You're so talented. And he's like, no, I practiced. And they're mm. like, no, 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 no. And it's they, like they don't even hear him say what he yeah, said. Right. They're like, oh, my God, you're so talented. You're so gifted, you know, like God has been so gracious to you. And he's seen "There's like... No, I practiced.
2: Yeah, because that's that's work.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then everyone's like, you're so talented, so gifted." And after a while, he starts getting frustrated because he's like, "Man, people think I didn't put in any work." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but he practice, yes, totally. and practice, and practice. Yeah, totally.
2: <laughs> I I did some research, Samrit, on uh, because of my other uh, startup that I have called Advisor, right? Mm. which is basically we have micro-podcasts from world-class experts in three minutes or less. Awesome. And then to make a case for it, I wanted to find out why people don't completely read books. They read books, but they don't finish them.
3: Mm.
2: I'm sure you and I have enough friends, and I'm sure we are also guilty of it. Totally. If we start reading a book, and we don't finish it. And then there's a new thing comes, and we start reading it, and there's a book graveyard, which, which are filled <laughs> with zombies, not really really, <laughs> really dead but half dead. <laughs> so, uh, yes. The zombie books are flying around in our bookshelves. I have a
1: couple so. of zombie books following me around for sure.
2: <laughs> yes. So, I, And I wanted to find out why does this happen? And I found that very, very interesting. So here is what happens. In a typical nonfiction book, the first chapter is always fun to read. Mm. You say, you know, let me tell you a story. What happened when I was uh, growing up was blah, blah, blah. And then people say, Why, what happened? What happened? And then the second chapter is about what will be in the book. Mm. In, the, in the first section, I'm going to say this. In the second section, I'm going to say this. In the third section, finally, you'll be a world-class speaker. Ah, oh, I want that. And the third chapter is where a little bit of uh, stretching requires. If you want to be a world-class speaker, one of the things you need is discipline. To make sure that you have discipline, make sure that every day you wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and then you're not an early riser, you say, oh my God, I don't want to wake up in the fact. The book
1: is slipping out of your head. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: you don't give up. Yeah, say, but you know but it's starting I, to slip. <laughs> I don't wake up, but you know, that's okay. I, I'll go to the next chapter. And then the next chapter builds on this previous chapter. It says, now that you woke up at five o'clock in the morning, make sure that you are fully disciplined. I want you to practice 30 minutes of yoga. But I don't know yoga. Well, you can go to yoga class. I don't want to do it. But I continue to read. Okay, great. Now it's 5.30 in the morning. You finish your uh, your shower and brushing and all those things. When you're fresh, before anybody wakes up, I want you to plan the day. Before 6.30, you find out the top three things you will do. And how you will know the top three things is based on the value you create. This is a lot of work. I think I want to stop reading this book. I want to get another book. This should be an easier book. Like you said, they don't want, they want talent that is implanted in somebody's head, not the practice, the talent that comes with practice.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. I I would definitely be checking out the micro podcast. I think that's a, a really cool space to create and innovate in. So Maraj, I'm conscious. I, have booked in your time forever <laughs> and I can continue to talk to you I feel like there is such a wealth of wisdom and we share such deep passions and you're just a, a, a like for those listening to the podcast I think I can speak for everybody um, just even in the little sentences there's just nuggets of wisdom are just being spilt like you know it's just milk or something and it doesn't even matter but it's like it's just everywhere all the little sentences have so many profound nuggets and i'm really grateful um for for just your time and energy and presence here so now i just want to tune in is there like is there anything that you know you feel compelled that you really want to share with everybody before we start wrapping things up
2: you know you have to be careful when you ask a teacher any such question ah. birds fly Teacher, teachers. So,
1: <laughs> I like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that one. <laughs> Fish swim, yeah. birds fly, and teachers teach Yeah. So
2: what else can they do? do <laughs> I a blank canvas to a teacher. I say, okay. Yeah. Ready, how much time do we have? I want to <laughs> because, but I'll give you, leave you with one. Right? Please, please. It is basically to be conscious mm. of who is renting your mental space.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah.
2: It's extremely important uh-huh. because I catch people when they say something like, uh, you know, that Rob, you told me this and he should not have said that. Mm. And I always always ask them, Tell me something, how important is Rob in your life? You know, I don't care about him. You don't care about him and you're carrying him in your mental space? What is wrong with you? is not that important. Why is the words that he said become so important in your life that it is stopping you from doing something more important than Rob? So it's very easy for us to get carried away by things that should not be in the mental space. The more clean your mental space is, the more creative you are. Mm. And for that matter, any obligation that you think others have, that you think Others owe you. If you clear them, half the problems are gone. Like for example, any of my friends, I don't expect anybody to keep in touch with me ever. So I always tell them that we should keep in touch. I said, you'll always be my friend. You never have to keep in touch with me. Mm. Our strength of the relationship is not dependent on the frequency of the touch points that we have. Yep. But to I'm connected at heart. I always say this. If I like someone, I give them a one-way ticket to my heart. When -hmm. they reach there, it's Hotel California. I love that. So when you keep less and less expectations from people Mm -hmm. and clear the mental space, the productivity shoots through the roof. Mm -hmm. How do you know it? For me, the body never lies. If I want to sleep, let's say we make a game here, Amrita, and say, Hey, can you sleep in the next 30 seconds? I close my eyes, put my head in the back, I can sleep in the next 30 seconds. Why? Because I have zero things in my brain. Mm. The mental space is very clear. Right. And if you try this and say, you know, everything is figure outable and uh, you just don't worry about anything and don't expect anything from anyone, half the problems are solved, you will be super creative. Does that make sense?
1: It does. It does. Something that coming, is coming up for me is what about trying to keep your, like Rob in this story was someone that um, wasn't someone that you care so much about, but let's say these expectations are of someone that you do really care about. Let's say uh, a family member, uh, a sister, a mother, a father, a brother. Um, what if you're interfacing with, the expectations of someone like that?
2: That's a very good question. It's an Oscar-level question, Amrit. So, and it always comes up with me. See, in the circle of love, right, my teacher, I have a friend called Maria Kelis. She is Mm -hmm. sort of a very spiritual teacher. Mm -hmm. She always, uh, she taught me one uh, exercise that uh, there are two things that, uh, two lessons I'll share. Mm -hmm. So one exercise, the exercise is called heart bridging. Mm-hmm. So heart bridging means when I'm interacting with you, I can build a bridge which mm-hmm. is uh, which is uh, an invisible bridge between my heart and your heart. Right? And if you do that uh, consciously and unconsciously, you make it a habit. Mm-hmm. Build a connection of love between two people. And then when people who are who, you are, who care about know that you have no other agenda but the goodness for them and the well-being of them you will automatically see that they will be more responsive to you the problem comes if you are sending mixed signals that they have one more agenda there and they don't know what exactly is the agenda mm-hmm. then they say is it really caring? what does he want?
0: what mm-hmm. is the real
2: story here? how the problems start coming. And the other thing is, you know, you can never, they say there's an old saying that you can't open the petals of a flower before it blooms. Isn't mm. it? So if you think about it, there is a time and place for everything. Mm. So what is, what is the priority for you is may not be priority for them. Isn't <laughs> it? Yep so because you both are different people and uh, as long as they know that you will give them the space to blossom in the way they will blossom and you will not be overbearing for them automatically they will start coming coming to you for some help and advice mm. but if if they think that all you want to do is make them do things the way you want them to do then they'll, even if they come, they're mentally closed. Mm. So the space with which they will operate has to be their space and not our space defined for them.
1: Right. Mm.
2: And uh, one more thing that you can think of, especially if they're young people from family, Mm. you help them play out the scenario that they want to play out. Like for example, there are two paths. One is the right path, the other is the not so right path.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But the young people do not play out the, all the paths for the second order and third order derivatives of it. What happens if they go in the path? They don't have the time to think because they are not mature enough. They will say, I, I think it is my path is the right path. And why is not your path? Because it's your path. My path is my path. That is the right path. At that time, all you can do is take them along the path and make them see what all happens if they take that path without being sarcastic. Mm. Very important, because if you, they can see the body language very quickly. If you have a smirk in your face and say, oh, you want to do that? Okay, try that. Mm. Only idiots do that.
3: Yeah, you've negated. Right yeah.
2: Then you, all it requires, everything is gone. Mm -hmm. But in the sense, you start saying, okay, there are two ways to do this. Uh, Let us think through everything that you are saying. Maybe your path is the right path. Let's say, what happens? When you reach that milestone, what happens? (laughs) Let's think through it together. You had to make them discover things rather than instruct them. Mm. yeah isn't it because if you instruct them it becomes your strategy if they if yes. you let them discover it it becomes their strategy
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. agreed yeah profound thank you so much for sharing that and uh, <laughs> I just want to take this opportunity to thank you for your time and presence here today um, also the last time we dropped in to have the first half of this chat and uh, also Rajesh, thanking you for you know all the all the work you do on yourself and put into the being that you know is present as part of this conversation it's not just this moment in time but I'm just conscious that you know there's uh, a human being is a life's work so just thanking you for for putting in that work to having such an informed and wonderful conversation here today.
2: Um, there's one of those things I'm with. You are giving me the gift of space to express myself. I should be the one who should be thanking you You for giving me the space, asking good questions, making things come out of my brain to the world. So you got the sequence all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You you had to say, Rajesh, we are ending this show. It's your time to thank me. (laughs) Yes, Amrit, thank you so much for Uh, taking the time uh, uh, to get me on the show.
1: (laughs) But you taught me about kindness so what I will say is Rajesh you're welcome and then you can thank me <laughs> I, I won't demand I'll just say you're welcome
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure whoever is listening to the podcast they'll be entertained it's like- I always say, people, when you have a meeting with me, entertainment is guaranteed. <laughs> Sometimes there is some enlightenment, but it's often.
1: <laughs> I love that. And as always, wishing you all the best for all the humor and all the enlightenment on the journey, and I feel really blessed to be connected um, with you in this space. For those that also wish to get connected and find out more about what's up in the world of Rajesh Sethi, what's the best place to discover and cover? There are so many things in your world. What's the best place to touch base?
2: There are two things that I can uh, think of. Mm-hmm. One is I want to give the link to the micro podcast service because mm-hmm. not just me, there are 130 world-class experts who have given their brilliance and wisdom in 3 minutes or less mm-hmm. i just calculated the suppose we get all the 131 experts to come and speak at an event the speaking the speaking fees for them will be more than 2.7 million dollars sure. so we rather than paying that they can pay a small fee uh, and then they can get the wisdom of all those people at the push of a button. It's called Audvisor, dot com. Audvisor.
3: That's
2: something that I want people to benefit from because I use my own service to say, you know, every day if I spend three to five minutes, I'll get one nugget of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And for three to five minutes, every single day, if I do it, I am wiser by 365 insights from like 130 experts amazing so it's you can't beat that in between meetings or in the commute and anything you just push a button and keep doing it
1: snackable wisdom i love it yes
2: and then <laughs> if they want some entertainment with a minute pinch of enlightenment they can go to napkinsites.com awesome and then so it depends on if they have it. Short attention span—they can go to Advisor. If the attention span is micro or mini, then they can go to napkin sites.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love Everything
2: it. Everything I do is for ADD people, which is almost <laughs> everyone in the earth.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is a, yeah, which I think technology has rendered us this way to a certain degree and yes. extent, to be honest. But it's a it's a blessing because we do get uh, the snackable the snackable insights and the content so thank you for that and um yeah i'll definitely link those to the show notes below um wherever you're consuming this podcast from and i just want to take a moment to thank you all for tuning in to what has been a gorgeous episode of the inspired evolution thank you again rajesh and uh, you're welcome
2: <laughs> thank you very much Amrit. It's, it was a pleasure
1: Hey Tribe, thanks for tuning in to another fun, enlightening episode of The Inspired Evolution. I've been loving all the feedback and personal stories of love, uh, health and growth. Your feedback and stories are incredibly welcome. The easiest way to connect with me is via my website, which is wwwamrit sanducom You can leave me a message or a comment. It's one of my highest values to connect, so I love to connect and love to hear from you. You can also find me on Facebook, Amrit Sandu. And if the content has been resonating with you, you can help The Inspired Evolution out in a big way by liking the YouTube channel, subscribing to The Inspired Evolution, or the Facebook page, like that please, at The Inspired Evolution, or by leaving a review on iTunes if you're on an Apple device. And also, if the Inspired Evolution episodes are inspiring an evolution within you, or you can feel the inspiration is valuable for your team to evolve to the next level, you can head on over to wwwamaret sanducom to see how the Inspired Evolution can help you and your team thrive. Much love, tribe.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.